Uh, before we begin uh, tonight, I want us to pray. There's a great, great church in Southern California that uh, Pastor Mark has been at conferences there. Um, I've been able to preach there on different occasions and just some wonderful people. They're in San Bernardino. And they're about an hour away from where that shooting took place today. If you haven't been following the news, uh, what was the last count? How many? 17 dead? 14 dead? 17 injured? Something like that. Uh, but there's a church that, that happened one mile from this church. And I want us to do something. I told them that we would be praying for them tonight. And so I just want you to join us and let's join together. And let's pray not only for the situation there, uh, but there's way too much of that going on in the world. And, and let's just pray uh, not only for healing and comfort for those places, but let's just pray for revival across the land. And the Bible says overcome evil with good. And uh, that church is doing a lot of good in their community. And I believe their church is going to be a place of, of help and comfort, healing and strength for a lot of people. But let's just go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you right now. Uh, I want to thank you specifically for Pastor Jim and Pastor Dan and Luke at the Rock Church. And Lord, these men that are leading that church, I pray that, Father, you'll give them supernatural wisdom and that this church will not only be comforted, but they will be a place of comfort and healing. Uh, Lord, they've been a, a, a place of, of blessing for their community for so many years. And, and I just believe that you're going to pour out a great spirit of revival in that place and across our land, Father, so that, that the evil that is trying to surface and manifest bring fear and terror into the hearts of men and women will be overcome by the spirit of almighty God. Uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And Father, we just believe that your power, your glory, your majesty is being poured out in the earth to heal the brokenhearted, but Father, to go beyond that and to establish your glory in the earth. And so we want to thank you for all that you're doing now to bring healing and help to the people in San Bernardino, but also, Father, to bring revival uh, across the land. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, I wanted to share, uh, Pastor Mark, thank you and uh, Amy for being uh, so kind to have me to come in and share. Uh, they were with us, you know, just a few weeks ago on our trip to the biblical sites in Italy, Greece, and Turkey, and, and they behaved themselves marvelously. Um, they never did anything that would embarrass you. Uh, they're, they're just wonderful people. We love and appreciate them very, very much, and you're really blessed to have great leaders like Pastors Mark and Amy. And so you guys, uh, for some reason, God sent you some of the best. I don't know why. But... Um, uh, I wanted to just take a minute and share a couple pictures of a few of the places that we've been able to go and minister this year. And uh, if we can go ahead and pop up the first picture, uh, we'll see what that's going to be. Uh, this is the congregation in Moscow, Russia. Uh, that's Rick Renner's church in Moscow. And you can see a lot of people very fervently, passionately uh, worshiping and praising God. Uh, they just, uh, within the year they moved into that building, they built it, uh, paid $18 million for it, uh, debt-free when they got into it. Um, uh, President Putin sent four representatives 
uh, from his government to congratulate the church. And uh, they all shared scripture and talked about what Jesus meant to them and all that. So I'm not saying, you know, everybody there is an angel. I'm just saying in this particular case, he had some government officials that apparently are godly men that love Jesus. And, and uh, they came from President Putin's office and celebrated with them. And so uh, good things going on, lots of good things going on in Russia. The next picture is uh, a smaller group, but that's in Geneva, Switzerland. And those are French-speaking Bible school students. Um, they are, some of them are from Geneva, Switzerland. Some are from uh, Nice, France. And this group also just started a, a Bible school in Paris uh, this September. As a matter of fact, when all that terror was happening there, uh, they were in their first days of classes. And, um, and so I, I just believe that the power of God, you know, the, the news isn't going to tell us about what God's doing. Uh, the news is going to tell us what the devil's doing. But we need to know that God's raising up armies of people all over the world. Uh, these French-speaking students are part of a, I'll just say, a conspiracy to start Bible schools in all the French-speaking nations of the world. Uh, some of this group started a church, a school rather, a Bible school in Haiti that just had their first graduation last May, and they graduated more than 300 Bible school students in Haiti, and uh, Haiti's French-speaking, and they're uh, targeting a lot of the uh, African nations that are French-speaking and so on. The next picture is from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. I was just there in September, pastor's conference. Uh, they now have 87 uh, Rama Bible training centers in Brazil. Uh, they are starting them everywhere. They have permission from the government to start Bible schools now in prisons across the country. Uh, of those 87 schools they have going now, uh, one of them is in a men's prison, one of them is in a women's prison, and that's just the beginning. Uh, so they're, uh, they're going very... Uh, powerfully and aggressive with the gospel there. Uh, the final little picture we have is just a project we have going. Uh, those are four of our books in the Arabic uh, language. Uh, they're beginning to translate them now. We're partnering with a group in uh, Egypt and Nigeria, and their plan, they, they've already translated uh, a few dozen books, and they're tackling four of ours. Uh, they're going to be uh, distributing those throughout northern Africa and the Middle East. And so uh, we're excited about that. God's on the move. You can go ahead and take that down. But I just had correspondence yesterday uh, with a missionary friend. He's in Turkey. Uh, he's in uh, biblical, Antakya, biblical Antioch from Acts 13. They're 40 miles from the Syrian border. And he says they're getting several Syrian refugees saved. Uh, that are fleeing the war, fleeing the crisis. And so, you know, in, in a world where there's a lot of darkness, a lot of violence, a lot of pain, uh, God is raising people up to be in strategic places, to be in the right place at the right time, to be able to offer hope, help, and healing. And so that's why uh, as much as we don't want to see a lot of the negative things going on, uh, we have to be thankful for the fact that God is working and, and uh, in the midst of all the, the junk, garbage, pain, God's working to bring hope and healing to people. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to talk tonight a little bit. And, uh, 
and, and then just be very open to whatever the Lord wants to minister or accomplish in people's lives. But I, I want us to go back. These are not days that the church needs to be in fear. Uh, these are not days that we need to be wringing our hands and dreading. These are days when we need to be saying, man, uh, you know, the devil's uh, overplaying his hand and in creating the fear and the trauma and the torment in the world, uh, what he's actually doing is uh, people are becoming more open to the gospel because people are looking for hope. Uh, here's what people are understanding. The world has no security to offer. The world has no safety to offer. And when people come to the end of themselves and recognize their own frailty, their own vulnerabilities, all of a sudden they start looking for somebody bigger than themselves. And, 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 and that's God. You know, we pray for leaders, we pray for the government, but the government is not our savior. Uh, Jesus is our savior. He's the only one that can offer us a, a stability, a strength, a peace, uh, an eternal uh, uh, hope, and, uh, and this, this has the, the opportunity to be the church's finest hour. This has the opportunity to be your finest hour because, number one, we need to remember this, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And so I, I want to just go back. Let's remind ourselves of why did Jesus come? Uh, Isaiah 61 is... Uh, when Jesus uh, was anointed by the Spirit, this is, you know, one of the first things he said, uh, quoting Isaiah 61. Um, it, it says, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal. Everybody say heal. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those that are bound. Look down at verse 3. Uh, to console, that means to comfort, to console those who mourn in Zion. And I want you to notice this, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations." Now, we're, we're pretty familiar with many of those earlier verses. How many of you are glad that when we face the, the situations of life that cause hearts to break, aren't you glad that Jesus is still, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still is in the business of healing the brokenhearted. Aren't you glad about that? Uh, you know, let me just tell you, the issue in life is not whether we're going to face pain. Life has trouble to dish out. Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. The question is not, are we going to face problems? Are we going to face painful situations? That's a given. We are living in a fallen world. How many of you know that? How many of you have realized this is not heaven? 
And look, if you're looking for this world to just make you happy and comfortable and peaceful and all that, listen, the world is not going to do that. Uh, the, The world can't give that to you because the world doesn't have that to give. God is the only one that can give that to us. And and one person said, uh, lower your expectations of earth. This isn't heaven, so don't expect it to be. Stop and think about that. Sometimes we're just looking in the wrong places. Uh, And and we need to look to God with with all fervency, with all of our heart, uh, to receive what only God can give us. And Jesus said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. Notice what he said at the end of verse 2. He said, he came to comfort all who mourn. I'll tell you what, people go through stuff in life. Every single one of us, if we've lived long enough in life, we've taken some hits, haven't we? Uh, We've had some situations that because of the the fallen nature of this world, it it doesn't have anything to do with it being God's will. It's just we live in a fallen world. And we know God's will is for comfort and peace and healing and strength, but we still live in a fallen world where we've got all these things going on around us, and even though we may not like to admit it, they they affect us. We live in a fallen world. Um, But I want you to know this, and this is something I want you to remember from tonight. God wants to do more than heal your pain. He wants to do more than heal your pain. He wants to transform your pain into purpose. Notice what uh, Isaiah chapter 63 verse 3 says to console those who mourn in Zion. And notice what he says, to give them beauty for ashes. He doesn't just want to sweep the ashes away. He wants to give you beauty in place of the ashes. He doesn't just want to take your mourning away, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. He wants to give you the oil of joy in the place of mourning. And he doesn't just want to take the spirit of heaviness away. You know, how many times do believers get, maybe they get fatigued, maybe they get distracted, uh, maybe they get discouraged, and before you know it, uh, you feel like you're under a spirit of heaviness. And and he doesn't just want to take the heaviness away from you, but he wants to give you the garment of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness. And I want to talk to you tonight about the fact that God wants to do more than just uh, heal the brokenhearted. He wants to do more than just uh, heal the pain of your life. But he wants to give you, he wants to transform you and transform what the enemy designed for evil against you to steal, kill, and destroy. God wants to turn that thing so radically around that purpose comes out of your life that you don't only experience the healing touch of God for the the pain areas of your life, but that, that he launches you into a purpose. Uh, where you share his compassion for a hurting world. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think you could just sit around and watch the news all the time and, you know, all this suffering and pain, you know, without it affecting you some way. And, and some people do, they just, they, they and I, I love the news, I'm a news 
person. But, but you have to be careful how the news affects you. Because if you're not careful, you'll begin to get that spirit of heaviness from it. But if you, if you process this information the right way, what you do is you take that to God and say, God, you want to do something bigger than what the devil's doing. God, you want to bring life and you want to bring it more abundantly. You want to bring blessing and help and, and comfort and strength. And God, you know, we're just going to take this thing. We see what the devil's doing, but God, you're going to bring something bigger, something greater in that process. And, and maybe I've been affected by it to a degree. Uh, you know, maybe not all the worldwide chaos and all that, but we've all had disappointments in our life. We've all had frustrations. Uh, we've all had different issues and things. But, but God, I'm not going to wallow in that pain. I'm not going to be overcome with that pain. I'm not going to sit in a corner under the spirit of heaviness and just feel sorry for myself. But God, I'm going to let you give me beauty for ashes. I'm going to let you give me the oil of joy for mourning. I'm going to let you give me the spirit of praise for the spirit of heaviness and uh, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And, and I'm going to go out and do something to bring that help and healing to other people. God, I'm going to let my pain be transformed into purpose uh, so that I can be an agent of healing. See, my desire tonight is not just that we become uh, recipients of God's healing in our lives, but that we become agents of God's healing in the earth. That we become not just consumers of, of healing grace and comfort and peace, but that we become uh, distributors of whatever it is that God blesses us with, that we become contagious with it for others. We become carriers of that peace, carriers of that joy, carriers of that healing, that, that we go from pain to purpose. Now, just as a quick thought, uh, Scripture is so plain, Scripture is so clear about what its characters went through. If there's one thing that the Bible is, the Bible is a book of redemption. It's, it's all about redemption. It's about God's original plan. It's about man falling from that plan. It's about God restoring and rescuing, redeeming mankind back to himself through the blood and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the Bible is a story of anything, it's a story of redemption, a redeeming God who doesn't look at humanity in its fallen state and turn his back on and say, well, I gave you a chance and you blew it. No, it's a God who says, hey, you've sinned, you've come short of the glory of God, but I'm coming to you with a solution. I'm coming to you with answers. I'm coming to you with provision. And my mercy is, is, is extended to you. And, and the whole story of the Bible is God reaching out, God in a relentless pursuit of fallen humanity. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, uh, when you get your life and your act together, when you get all turned around and straightened up, then you come and I'll see if you're good enough for me? Aren't you glad that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly? When we were at our worst, God gave us his best? 
That's what grace is all about. It's not about man getting good enough and perfect enough and that type of thing. It's about the fact that when we were at our absolute worst, God gave us his absolute best so that he could rescue us uh, from, from the hand of the enemy, from eternal death, from all forms of, of destruction and pain, God sent Jesus into the world so that we could have life and so that we could have it more abundantly. If the Bible is a story of anything, it's a story of redemption. But if there's a secondary story, kind of a subplot, I think the Bible is a story of how its characters faced and overcame pain. All the great characters of the Bible, none of them were, were heroes of faith because they had easy lives. None of them were heroes of faith because they never faced any adversity. Uh, everybody wants to be a conqueror, but nobody wants to fight the battles. And, and sometimes when the battles come, we kind of act surprised and offended. You know, how dare this happen because, you know, I'm more than a conqueror. Well, the reason you're more than a conqueror is not because you never face a problem. It's because God gives you the tools to overcome the problems. And, uh, but we all have the journey. We all, uh, you know, Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. We, there's a fight that's involved in this life. And uh, the story of the Bible is a story of redemption, but it's also a story of how its, its characters faced pain and overcame the pain. How they, uh, I like to use this term, processed the pain. And let me tell you this, when, when we face pain in life, how we respond to the pain is more important than the pain that we face. And we will end up, and you can see this time and again, when we face adversity, when we face challenges, we will end up either uh, better or bitter. If we process the pain properly, go to God, seek comfort, get wisdom, uh, persevere, uh, get insight from God, have other people agree and pray with us, if we process the pain properly, uh, there will be a transformation from pain into purpose. But if we don't, and we all know this, and I'm not saying this with any kind of glee or delight, but, but we have all known people who, when they encountered pain, instead of running to God, they ran away from God. They got mad at God. They got offended at God. They got mad at the church. They got mad at, you know, and, and they ended up uh, not with a reservoir of grace uh, from God's comfort, but they ended up with, with a cesspool of poison uh, from the bitterness and resentment. And, and even in those cases, God's still wanting to bring healing and still bring transformation. But we have so much to do with whether we respond the right way to the challenges of life or where, whether we respond the wrong way. Uh, just, I want you to think for a few minutes about some of the types of pain that people face in life. Stop and think about what, what are you going through in your life right now that is a source of, of pain. Uh, and, and maybe you're sitting here and saying, Brother Cook, I, 
I am so victorious, man. I am up on, on the mount of glorification. And I, I, I mean, pain is so far. I don't even, I can't even see any pain. Well, God bless you. But the other 99% of us either are facing or probably have gone through something in recent times where, you know, we'd say that was part of, that was kind of a rough journey. I, I, I had to wear the armor of God. Uh, I'm not in heaven yet. I had to fight the good fight of faith. There were some challenges there. But what do people face in life? People face, and I'm not saying this to glorify the pain, but I'm just saying, you know, let's be realistic and let's be honest. People face things. People face the pain of inferiority, the pain of insecurity, the pain of a struggling marriage, the pain of a wayward child, the pain of an emotional challenge, depression, anxiety, something of that nature, the pain of addictive tendencies or full-blown addiction, uh, the pain of loss, the pain of abuse, the pain of loneliness, of rejection, of betrayal, the pain of failure, disappointment, and regret, the pain of sickness and disease, the pain of financial pressure, uh, the pain, what about this, of other people's poor decisions and other people's criticisms and things like that. Um, now, I'm not trying to get us all to join. What's the old hee-haw song? Gloom, despair, agony untold. You know, what is it, Pastor Mark? Could you, could you guys come up and sing that? You, you know how, how many of you remember Hee Haw? That, that old show. Some of you younger people may not know it. But, you know, they just sat around with their banjos, and it was just the most self-pity and, oh, woe is me and all that. And, and when I talk about these different issues of pain, I'm not trying to create that thing where we just have a big pity party and we just all feel sorry for ourselves. But you know what? The, the reality is David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Uh, there are times we walk through some valleys, but let's just make sure we're walking through the valley. Uh, David did not say, Yea, though I set up camp in, in the valley of the shadow of death. I, I want you to think about a couple things tonight because I want to do two things tonight. I, I believe... God's wanting to see a couple things happen. Number one, I think some of us have maybe been carrying some pain. We've internalized, and uh, God really wants us to open up. And, and we need to see God tonight as our healer, not as the, the one bringing pain into our life. Amen. And sometimes when people have carried pain for a while, the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred, when something we want keeps getting put off, it, it brings uh, heart sickness or discouragement or disillusionment. And some people have been in certain kinds of pain. Maybe it's, you know, some of those we talked about, a, a wayward child that it just seems like it's been a long time and, and, or other battles that you faced. And we have to be careful that we don't become uh, battle weary, that we don't become fatigued. Uh, because of, of long-standing uh, pain. Vince Lombardi, the coach for the Packers ages ago, said that fatigue makes cowards of us all. And, and we don't want to get, uh, 
worn down by the, the problem. And, and sometimes what that means is we need uh, regular renewals and refreshings of the Spirit of God uh, to keep our, our spiritual uh, life energized and empowered to really tap into the grace that Paul talked about that was greater than the thorn, greater than the uh, attacks of the enemy against him. But not only do I want us to open up our lives to the healing power of God tonight, and, and not just physically, but every area that we need peace, comfort, uh, you know, consolation, uh, encouragement. Uh, but I want us to not just settle for getting healed of the pain, uh, and, and maybe sometimes that's a journey of, of healing, but, but I want us to commit to something more than just receiving healing. I want us to commit to having the pain turned into purpose, uh, where we take that and because of what we've been through, and I'm not trying to you know, go with this, well, God put you through this horrible situation just so you could help others. I'm not, I, God's not putting anybody through horrible stuff. But horrible stuff does happen. And, and I've found in my life that when I've gone through a challenge or adversity, uh, that God does want to redeem. He wants to take what the enemy meant for evil, and he's going to turn it for good. But I want to then uh, have a, a, a greater appreciation for helping others, uh, a greater um, capacity to uh, sense compassion for other people going through things. And I think that's part of what we call the pain being transformed. But I, I guess if I'm going to make a point tonight, I want to talk about Jesus. Because when we face pain, there's a big tendency to look inward. And when we're facing pain and we look inward, if we're not careful, we will drift into isolation. And the next thing you know, we're thinking, well, nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm the only one that's ever gone through this. The enemy thrives on getting us isolated in our thinking to where we think nobody else cares, nobody else understands. Uh, you know, what's that one song? Nobody knows the sorrows I've known. Nobody knows but Jesus. And, and I suppose, you know, there's a way somebody could sing that the right way. But uh, the truth of the matter is the Bible says there's no temptation taken us except that which is common to man. And, and I think we need to understand that uh, all of us have gone through different things in life. We need to not judge one another when different ones are going through things, but we need to support one another, hold one another up, help one another up off the ground, and, and all uh, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, not become so hyper-introverted and introspective uh, that, that we just lose sight of God and other people and things like that. And, and the one thing I want you to know tonight is, is that in reality, uh, whatever you're facing, there are other people who have gone through that. And other people can. And that's one of the reasons I think the Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you might be healed. There's something uh, about fellowship uh, where there's not judgmentalism, but there's compassion for one another. And, uh, you know, there may be some situations where somebody, they really can't identify with what you're going through, 
because maybe they've never been through it and that doesn't mean that they don't love you they don't care about you it's just you know they just really fully don't understand what you're going through and don't be offended at that but know this that whatever we face in life Jesus does in reality uh, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities we were in Isaiah chapter 61 if you'll flip back with me to Isaiah chapter 53. And do we have the New Living Translation uh, in, in the... Uh, no, okay. We can look at it in the New King James for sure. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. It talks about Jesus and uh, this is one of the prophetic uh, passages concerning the Lord Jesus. It says, and I'm reading it from the New Living. It says, he was despised and rejected. Here it is in the New King James. He is despised and rejected by men. How many of you have ever faced rejection? Jesus, he, he, he totally gets rejection. You ever had somebody just hate your guts for no apparent reason? Uh, Jesus was despised and rejected by men. And notice this is one of the terms used to describe him. He is a man of sorrows. Say that out loud with me, a man of sorrows. That word sorrows in the Hebrew language, it means pain of any kind. Pain of any kind. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Now it's very easy to just assume that that's written totally about his time on the cross a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And, and no doubt that was the pinnacle, that was the epitome of, of Jesus experiencing uh, personally the, the pain and the grief, the, the, the pain and the sickness of all humanity uh, being poured upon him on the cross. And yes, he did on the cross bear as our substitute everything that, that we would have ever felt or experienced in life. But, but I would make the argument that throughout Jesus' life, that he, in, in just his journey of 33 years of humanity, uh, he experienced a lot of sorrows and a lot of pain. Can you imagine when Jesus was a very small child and, and uh, I think a lot of children... Um, you know, I know our kids would sometimes ask about this. You know, Mommy, tell me about when I was born. Any of your kids ever ask that question? Tell me about when I was born. And can you imagine Mary having to say, Joseph having to say, well, Jesus, you know, when you were born, it was very special. Uh, <laughs> obviously. But, uh, you know, we hate to tell you this, but you're going to hear about it sooner or later. Uh, the king tried to kill you when you were born. And we had to run away and hide you and protect you. And, and the king ended up killing dozens of little boys hoping it was you. Can you imagine what that was? I mean, Jesus came to that knowledge at some point. Maybe they didn't tell him super early. But at some point, Jesus realized that when he was born, the king tried to kill him. And that basically a hit squad, an assassination squad was sent to the area of Jesus' birth and all of the baby boys, all of the little boys two years old and under were slaughtered. 
Can you imagine what that would, you know, what that would do? And, you know, I know Jesus turned out fine, but um, I think that'd be kind of troubling to know that a whole bunch of little kids got killed because the king was trying to kill you. And, and then Jesus found out that his parents had to flee and live in another country uh, you know, until that king died. Um, Jesus possibly, we don't know this for sure, but possibly Jesus experienced the death of his own earthly father. His, you know, Joseph, obviously God was Jesus' father, but his earthly father, surrogate father, Joseph, perhaps died when Jesus was young because we don't see Joseph again in the Bible after Jesus was 12 years old. So Mary we see all the time, but Joseph just kind of, and most Bible scholars believe that Joseph probably died uh, somewhere during Jesus' teenage years. Uh, at one point, we're talking about the pain that Jesus experienced in life. At one point, Jesus' family considered him to be crazy. Do you realize that? They weren't all, you know, fired up about, oh boy, our, our son, our brother, he's the greatest. Uh, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it talks about how Jesus' family responded as Jesus began ministry and was praying for people and preaching and so on. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, this is what it says. But when his own people, and in some translations it will say his own family, when his own family heard about what was going on, they went out to lay hold of him for they said, he is out of his mind. Another place we find out that John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, and Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. So his family thinks he's crazy. They're going out to basically, let, let's put Jesus in a straitjacket and, you know, bring him home for his own good. And then we find his brothers don't believe in him. So Jesus dealt with the pain of criticism from his own family, rejection from his own family. And I don't know why I'm sharing this right around the holiday season, but, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, some of our family members, you know, especially if we've, you know, maybe the only spirit-filled person in the family or something like that, they think we're crazy. Um, Jesus faced rejection throughout his entire ministry. John chapter 1 says he came to his own people and they even rejected him. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, we find out in several places in the scripture, we find out that they said horrible things about Jesus. He is a blasphemer. Uh, you know, they, they made terrible accusations about uh, Jesus. And Jesus experienced another type of pain throughout his life. Jesus was touched by the pain of other people. One of the things we need to understand, and, and we know that verse that Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I want you to know when you hurt, God cares. And, and one of the things that the enemy always brings, well, if God cared, you wouldn't be going through this. I, I understand, you know, when you're going through something, you just wish God would flip the switch and everything would change instantly and all. And, and I know that many cases in life, 
we walk through a process. Sometimes we're waiting on somebody else to make a decision. Uh, sometimes there are some processes involved. But we need to understand that God cares. Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In the book of Isaiah, it talks about how the fact, talking about the sufferings of the people of Israel. And it says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And I want you to know that God cares about whatever you're facing tonight. God cares about whatever you're feeling tonight. God cares about what you're going through. And he has a plan to bring you through it and to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's his plan. Jesus, one time when he went up to the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says, as he drew near to the city, he saw it and wept over the city. Uh, when he heard of the beheading of John the Baptist, the Bible says he left in a boat to a remote place to be alone. Jesus, being fully human, experienced the full range of human emotion. I want us to look at a verse in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, do we have the Amplified Bible? In our, okay, I'll read it to you from the Amplified Bible. Matthew chapter 9, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 26, verses 37 through 38. This is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I don't know why, but this verse just really powerfully impacted me. It says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 and 38, And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he, Jesus, began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Did you know that Jesus at this moment went through depression? He began to show grief, distress, grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Some scholars have said that the battle that Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, that part of it was not to literally die from the grief and the depression that it was so heavy that he, he was almost about to die from the, the emotional pain of, of just thinking about bearing the sin of the world. And that what Jesus had to do in Gethsemane was to resist a premature death so that he could stay alive because he had to die on the cross. I don't know about you, but that... When I think about that, I think, Jesus, if you went through that, I, I'm not going to take that and say, okay, so I'm going to accept this as, as a, 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 you know, how I'm going to live all of my life, but I'm going to look at this and say, whatever I may experience at any point in time, Jesus, you've been there, you felt what I'm going through, you're touched with the feeling of my infirmity, I am not suffering alone. 
but, but Jesus, you didn't stay that way forever. You, you went ahead and paid the price and then you rose from the dead and you conquered death, hell, and the grave and all the power of the enemy. So Jesus, you experienced my pain and suffering, but then now I get to partake of your glorious resurrection and I get to trade in, uh, you know, the, 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 the ashes, and I get to get your beauty. I get to trade in uh, the, the, uh, the mourning, and I get the oil of joy. I get to trade in the garment of praise, and I get to wear the spirit of, uh, uh, get to trade in the heaviness for the garment of praise. But we have to understand that God, when we face these problems, when we face these challenges of life, whatever they might be, God's not disappointed in us. Uh, God doesn't say, well, I would only love you if you become victorious. When you become victorious, then I will love you. Uh, he, he comes to us in the deepest and the darkest moments of our lives, and he begins to breathe life into us. He begins to bring resurrection into our life. And sometimes when we face the pain, sometimes when we face the difficulties, there's an element of shame. The devil tries to make us to feel ashamed that we're going through what we're going through. And shame isolates. But God says, I don't want you to be ashamed because of what you're going through. I want you to turn to me. Uh, I don't reject you because of the problems you're facing. I, I come to you in great mercy and great compassion and I'm going to meet you at your point of need. I've already been at your point of need. I've been lower than you, you know, have ever thought about going. Whatever you faced, I've faced it 20 times more intensely, and I'm able to help you through it. Now, we've talked about some of the things that Jesus went through, but look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. I'm going to share two verses with you, and then we're just going to spend a, a little bit of time praying together. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, Scripture paints the, the, the picture that it's what Jesus went through that qualifies him to be our Savior because he's been down the path that we've been down. He, he's carried, as he's described in Scripture, the man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. Uh, Jesus has been down the road that we've been down. In Hebrews chapter 4, 15, this is what it says. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. There's a double negative there. So if we take out the two negatives, it's just we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, how many of us through temptations, tests, and trials, uh, we got disoriented or we got mad or we got frustrated or we got worn out and then we missed the mark? Have you ever had a hard time and then, you know, did something wrong? See, a lot of people, when they're dealing with pain, instead of turning to God, they turn to something destructive. How many people, because of pain, have turned to, you know, chemical substances, to, uh, you know, alcohol, drugs, et cetera, 
to try to mask the pain. Most people, when they get into trouble, or, or how many people have turned to pornography because there's, there's pain, there's frustration in their life, so they're looking for some way to medicate the pain. And all that they're doing is they're, they're, uh, they have a legitimate pain, but they're trying to deal with the pain through an illegitimate method of, of healing. And, and they, they deaden themselves to the pain through alcohol, drugs, other addictive behaviors. Uh, they're, they're living an escape. Uh, they're trying to numb the pain. Uh, they face the temptation, test, and trial, but then they miss the mark because they're trying to deal with the pain in the wrong way. There's a right way to deal with pain. There's a wrong way to deal with pain. Jesus, Hebrews 4.15 says, let's look at it one more time. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Jesus knows what we're going through, but he was without sin. So, and we know he took care of the sin on the cross, right? So if we have missed it, we don't need to wallow in, you know, self-pity and things like that or punish ourselves over and over again. We need to receive the forgiveness, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that we are forgiven. Know that he declares us to be righteous. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That one more verse we're going to look at, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. Talking about the fact that Scripture paints the picture that it was the pain, it was the sorrow, it was the suffering that Jesus went through that qualifies Him to be our Savior. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 reads this way. Who in the days of His flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications. And this is always interesting. With vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus prayed, the Bible says at times, now we know not all of his prayers were like that, but there were times when he prayed with vehement cries and tears. Jesus takes pain very personally. Jesus, you know, he didn't have anything to suffer on for his own behalf. He suffered on our behalf. Can you picture Jesus weeping on your behalf, pleading? You know, what if you were going through the worst time in your life, but in the next room you could hear Jesus praying on your behalf? What would that do for your faith? Well, we may not hear it audibly, but we know that Jesus prayed with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear, his reverential fear. Verse 8 says, the very next verse says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. Everybody say obedience. obedience. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And the rest of this says, verse 9, it goes on to say, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And, and here's what we see. Jesus experienced more pain than any other human being who has ever lived on the face of the earth. 
And yet Jesus bore that pain. He experienced it throughout his life through, you know, the attempts to kill him, the rejection, uh, the accusations, the hatred that he experienced. You know, he experienced pain throughout his life. And then on the cross as our substitute, he literally just absorbed all the pain, all the suffering, all of the sin of humanity was placed upon Jesus. And so whatever we're facing, he totally gets it. He totally understands it. And Jesus, having died for us, rose from the dead triumphant and glorious. And I'll tell you what, he got beauty for ashes. He got the oil of joy for mourning. He got the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And you know what he's doing now? He's, he's there as our intercessor, our high priest, our advocate. He's our shepherd. He's our healer. He's our comforter. And, and he wants to bring us through the, the challenges and the experiences of life. And he wants far more than just for us to be healed of the pains of life but he wants to transform us so that we become agents of healing to other people. I, I told you I was going to, uh, I'm going to do one more verse if I can. Second Corinthians, this is, pe preachers are bad at that. Just so you'll know, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Philippians, halfway through the message, he said, finally, my brethren... And he was only halfway finished. But this really will be 2 Corinthians. Look at that. Philippians chapter 3. It's, it's halfway through. And he, and he says, finally, my brethren. The conclusion was half the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. 2 Corinthians 1 4. Paul went through all kinds of stuff. He, Paul went through more pain than probably any of us have ever been through. I mean, literal beatings, whippings, shipwrecks, imprisonments. And Paul talked about God. Notice what it says, who comforts us. Everybody say comfort. comfort. He, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Notice God doesn't comfort us in half of our tribulation. He comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you see the, the concept there of pain transformed? He didn't just say God comforts us in our tribulation. That would just be comfort or healing. He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort other people who are in any trouble. That's when it gets transformed. It becomes part of our purpose. It becomes part of our mission. What are we saying here? I want, I want us to allow God to turn our pain into a purpose, to turn our test into a testimony, and our mess, anybody got a mess in your life? Don't have to raise your hand. But to turn our mess into a message. That's what God does doesn't just heal our pain, he transforms our pain into purpose.